This portion of our program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, right off of 146. Delicious food and drink, always a nice crowd. You can either eat in the lounge area, there's normally a game on and a nice group of people there, or you could sit out in the dining room. Don't forget the nice weather, they have the deck open. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, delicious food and drinks awaiting for you. I'll see you at the Lodge. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. Well, it's definitely going to be history. It's going to be a huge story. I'm talking about President Trump set to appear in the courtroom in Miami. Dominated, obviously, a lot of the Sunday uh, stories or news shows, I should say. And one of the, the um, I'm going to, I want to play some sound. One of the things that certainly jumped out was Bill Barr. He was on Fox News Sunday. And obviously he, um, his words mean a lot. Uh, but I want to play, because folks, we have to deal in reality. This is former AG Bill Barr. Up for the president's allies and his legal team that this should have been handled under the Presidential Records Act, not this Espionage Act charge and other federal statutes that were used here. Well, it started out under the Presidential Records Act and and the archives trying to retrieve documents that Trump had no right to have. But it quickly became clear that what the government was really worried about were these classified and very sensitive documents. I was shocked by the degree of sensitivity of these documents and how many there were, frankly. And uh, so the government's agenda was to get those, uh, protect those documents and get them out. And I think it was perfectly appropriate to do that. It was the right thing to do. Uh, And I think the counts under the Espionage Act uh, that he willfully retain those documents are solid counts. Now, I, I do think we have to wait and see what the defense uh, says and, and, and what proves to be true. But I do think that even half well, what Andy McCarthy said, which is if even half of it is true, then he's toast. I mean, it's a it's a pretty it's a very detailed indictment uh, and it's very, very damning. And this idea of presenting Trump as a victim here, a victim of a witch hunt uh, is ridiculous. Yes, he's been a victim in the past. Yes, his uh, adversaries have obsessively pursued him with phony claims. And I've I've been at his side defending against them when he is a victim. But this is much different. He's not a victim here. He was totally wrong uh, that he had the right to have those documents. Those documents are among the most sensitive secrets that the country has. He... They have to be in the custody of the archivist. He had no right to maintain them and ret- retain them. And he kept them uh, in a way uh, at Mar-a-Lago that anyone who really cares about national security, would, their stomach would churn at it. Now, that was Bill Barr. And I, I understand some people are going to shake their head and disagree with that. I think it's, it's tough to um, – I, I think it's really difficult, if not impossible, to try to say what Bill Barr – just said um, does does not resonate. Now, De- President Trump's attorney, Alina Haba, claimed that they were just mementos. I want to play this. Um, now, this again was on Fox News. That's clearly not what was in the boxes, though. I'm all right, I want to play this. Haba. We should note she doesn't represent the former president in this specific federal case with the indictment. Uh, welcome to Fox News Sunday, Alina. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start here. I know you've been with the president. What is his mood? I mean, a conviction here on any number or multiple of these charges could be decades in jail. Has that sunk in? No, I don't think he's thinking of it that way. And I don't really think that's a realistic way to think about this case. Um, He's done nothing wrong. He said that. This is completely politically motivated. It's election interference at its best by a political opponent. So to, you know, his credit and, and the world should understand 
An indictment is a one-sided document. He has a defense. The defense is real. He had the Presidential Records Act, which only he has in play. Hillary Clinton didn't have that. Biden didn't have that. Um, and we'll put that defense on. The team he's going to have will be strong and, and knows exactly what they're doing. Is he going to press for that speedy trial? I mean, that's generally understood to be something to benefit the defendant. Or would he rather push this past the 24 election, which seems like a more likely... Uh, time frame for this kind of federal case? You know, that's a strategy question that I really can't answer. That would be internal um, discussions that I have with my client. But we'll make that determination very soon, and, um, and, and he'll, he'll make that public when it's time. Any chance that he would take a plea deal, especially if there is, you know, he's, he's got the state indictment in New York. Um, he is facing another potential federal indictment on January 6th charges. You've got the Georgia special grand jury. Those indictments, if there are any, could come in, in August. Is there any thought of the president's mind? You please some of this away. you got to focus on the campaign, which is in itself an exhausting, very consuming process. No. I, I could never imagine. I know I would never advise that especially when he's not done anything wrong. You take a plea deal to make something go away, that's an admission of guilt. He would never admit guilt um, because there was nothing wrong with declassifying documents, taking documents with you, negotiating with NARA. The only thing that was wrong was the raid on his home and the complete dual-tier system of justice that we're seeing here when the Biden family is being treated completely differently than the Trump family. So to plea is exactly what they would want, right? I mean, this is very simple. We saw Rachel Maddow say it on MSNBC or MSDNC, as he calls it. You know, maybe he would just say, I won't run for office and plea out that way. No way. It makes no sense. You plea when you've done something wrong or when you have no shot. Yeah. Um, we have strong defenses. Well, and we heard the president, uh, former president, twice um, or multiple times yesterday in the speeches that he gave in Georgia and North Carolina say that he's not leaving the race no matter what. Um, so, again, this is uncharted territory. And, you know, it's a, it's a moment in America that's never happened before. So we will watch as this continues to proceed. But let's talk about a couple of the things in the indictment, as you say. This is a one-sided issue. What goes to the, the trial jury will be very different, and you will have an opportunity at defense then. One of the first points, and this actually comes from, they're quoting memorializations of one of the president's uh, attorneys. They say that he had a number of conversations with them. I don't want people looking through my boxes. Admitting that he knew that he had these boxes there and there was a subpoena in place. What happens if we just don't respond or don't play ball? Wouldn't it be better if we just told them we don't have anything here? I mean, one of the things he's accused of in this indictment is of giving false statements and forcing other people, including legal members of his team, to give false statements. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I can't get into details on, on TV, obviously, but I can say that we saw a picture that's been widely publicized, right, of a box that's flipped over. What's in that box? Newspaper articles, pictures, things that are mementos, things that he has a right to take. So if I'm someone with documents that I have a right to have as the president who left the White House, do I want people rummaging through my personal items? No. So I think you have to remember, again, like I said, there's context to everything. That context will be brought out on defense, and, um, and, and that's going to be our opportunity. We have not had an opportunity to give our side, and that's the image right there that I'm discussing. It's newspapers. It's pictures. Well, it's mementos. Let me, let me also say what the indictment also says in, in looking at that picture. It says they were spilled onto the storage room floor. They say uh, in the indictment includes documents related secrets uh, relative to USA Five Eyes. Uh, which denoted the information in that document was releasable only to Five Eyes Intelligence. Um, that consists of uh, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, U.S., and the U.K. They say that's in part of those documents that have spilled out. Well, first of all, I've never seen anything spilled out. I don't know if anybody's been to any of Donald Trump's clubs or residences, but he doesn't operate that way. So that may have been the way it was when they came. I don't know. I don't know when that picture was taken. I also don't know what was in the boxes before and after. There's a lot of questions here. What I can tell you is he has every right to have classified documents that he declassifies under the Presidential Records Act. So, yes, they're making it sound like a five-alarm fire. It's not. It's... It's a very simple thing that everybody, and we've seen numerous people, able to take it. And frankly, he was the only one that could take classified documents that he declassified under the Presidential Records Act. People forget that.
All right, Alina, thank you for your time. Of course, we will watch as this is a very different proceeding once it goes to trial. We'll look for that defense as well. Thanks. All right, now the thing about that is, um, as I've said, I will feel better about President Trump's chances in defense when he starts to get some real attorneys that can defend him. I see where she would go. If she got a specific question, she'd say, I can't discuss that, and just kind of continuing on the talking points. But the fact of the matter is this, and I'll, I'll get into it a little bit more. Um, th this is not a PR battle. They're still treating this as a PR battle. They have a legal, legal trouble here. Legal trouble, not just PR battles. Legal trouble. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. Next time you have an emergency, think at Med Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. At Med Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At At Med Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals families they're on duty at all times they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical now if you're in a car accident go to atman urgent care avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms they also do adult vaccinations laboratory testing atman urgent care when it's an emergency 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right, in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. Time for our very popular segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, he is the managing editor, anchorising.com. It is Justin Katz. And Justin, uh, boy, what a turn of events. Let's begin. I want to hear your thoughts. Governor McKee, <clears throat> I think by now, at least a big part of our audience would remember this trip. Two Rhode Island executives they traveled to Philadelphia. It all has to do with the Cranston Street Armory. Something goes wrong. We have talked about this. The McKee people with holding the email. And last week was big as not only was the email released, but then there was a back and forth with the attorney general. We've learned that the governor's people actually kicked this to state police to investigate. We're going to talk all about it, but pick it up anywhere you want. Just first blush, some of your thoughts. Yeah, I guess we could start just the contents of the email. Well, sure. I mean, the, <laughs> what's, what's interesting is everybody's because of what's considered news these days, folks are concentrating on kind of racial insinuations and, and sexism. But basically, if the email in, indicates that two representatives of the state of Rhode Island were kind of pressuring for special treatment, holding a, a 55 million deal over, over the company's head, uh, which is much, much worse, in my view, than off-color comments and rudeness, sure. um, but but even the off-color comments and rudeness were, were bad enough. It's it's hard to understand why the McKee administration wouldn't just jump in and distance itself from the very beginning of all this. Right. Uh, I mean, it it's, it it is pretty extreme stuff, and not I mean not extreme and you know like the N word or anything like that, but but stuff you would think of in like in bad movies about the 1950s. You know that kind of um, those sorts of comments that would would have been generally understood back then uh but the it, it's it's just so so strange that these two guys would would think any of that was appropriate which makes me start to wonder i mean we've already the the complicating factors uh, you know going back to the important thing which is the tens of millions of dollars of taxpayer money on in question here uh the, the idea that the um it's, this is now affecting commentary on. So this, the Cranston Street Armory project, which was implicated here, was not approved in the budget. Of course, we're getting people going, oh, well, it wasn't approved. See, they were holding it over their heads and they didn't get it. It should be approved. And so that that starts to make you wonder, too, in all, in all this strangeness. strangeness. And I, th I think I saw that Brett, uh, Jeff Britt, in, who who got hung up in, in 
and campaign controversies yeah. for the speaker, uh, Mattiello, not long ago, is, is involved in this. And so the whole yeah. thing is just, it's just very, very strange. It's just hard to understand how, I mean, it, this, this group sent, uh, sent a text around midnight to the people uh, with demands almost like they thought they were Van Halen preparing for a show, right? I want all the, yeah. the brown M&Ms removed. Yeah, from the, the rider and everything. Yeah, yes. Exactly. It's, I mean, it, it was, it's just so, so bizarre. I feel like there must be something to the story because otherwise it's just, just, but strange how it could even be a, a real, real story. And um, and about this, Justin, and I'm curious your thoughts on whether or not these two should have been terminated. I think what some people need to understand is some things that jumped out at me is these two individuals who are, you know, they're older, they're not brand new as far as even in age or anything, but they act like they've never been on a business trip before. It's so unprofessional from the demands to some of the comments to, oh, if I'd known your husband was away, I would have come in last night. It is like something out of Mad Men, but it's, and you know, you think it's like Roger Sterling making these comments, but it, it's, it's so embarrassing that these are the two representatives the state sends. Um, <clears throat> and, and I was wrong. I was thinking, gee, why would the state police be involved? Was this like a threat? Was there theft? I, I wasn't even thinking of the extortion element, which is what it comes down to, which is you have, you know, three hours to make us want to give you 50 million. Um, you know, what's an interesting aside? I think we can both agree on I want to hear your thoughts. I just think the McKee people and the governor himself, they completely mishandled this situation. And <clears throat> there's a lot to go through with the comments. But an, a state house insider brought it to me. Now, Britt is involved. And he was the one that went on trial. No matter what people say. It was a lot of sleazy stuff that went on with that, with his involvement, the Mattiello campaign in 2016. But the way it was expressed by one person was that they believed that the email was sent as leverage to the Rhode Island officials, that this happened almost. And unless we get this deal for 50 million, we're going to make what happened public. So the McKee people kind of, panicked and didn't do anything with the information but i think that's an interesting turn that that maybe actually the governor should have immediately kicked this to attorney general peter Nerona, not by way of what the two representatives rhode island did but more of of how essentially they've been blackmailed that what happened was going to be made public if they didn't give them the 50 million for the the uh, cranston street armory yeah, that's, I mean, that's part of what makes it so strange. I mean, some of these, yeah. some of the communications, including the text that's, that apparently kicked it off, I don't know, it, it made me think of a classic Richard Pryor movie where he's going to buy a house in Idaho, I think. And the guy keeps saying, oh, yeah, we're going to take the kitchen with us. Ha, 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 ha. But then he, they actually take the kitchen with them. Like, they, it mm. almost feels like a setup. But it, I, I mean, the, the accusations are such that I, I don't think it could have been. But it, it makes you, you know, that it makes you just to, as a reminder that there is, there's always another side. There's always prior conversations you might not be privy to uh, right uh, jokes others were making that might have set a yes. tone i don't know i'm just saying this the whole thing is so strange we've got to leave open that possibility but what it comes down to i mean for me ultimately i'm putting aside all the the minor controversy is this is an indication of why we just shouldn't we shouldn't have it shouldn't there should not be two government appointees who who even reasonably feel like it's up to them whether somebody gets 50 million dollars that's just not how it should work i mean it's, right. and that's the problem with the way this whole thing operates is you set up these situations with this corruption and the favor factory and i mean this this ties in my mind right back to right back to you know the being able to be in in state government and being uh, the speaker of the house and being able to give out favors and and even david cicilline becoming uh, head of the rhode island foundation you know, right able to give out money able to go out found um favors and, and help people have jobs that is to me one big thing and these these two guys are almost like they just whatever the reason i don't know what they're going through or whatever the reason they just sort of went too far to an extreme in just a standard operating procedure and a standard state of mind you give us this and it's not much different than you know when a, when a business wants to start up in rhode island and the unions come a knocking right you, oh well you got to give us the 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 labor agreement and we get all the stuff and you got to make sure it's all prevailing wage and this and that and oh the you got to give to this the, the city needs this from you and the state needs this i mean it's, it's such a factor of business this is just like in some ways almost just a cartoonish version of rhode island yeah. standard operating procedure 
You're right. And and not only that, and again, folks, our segment is politics this week. With us is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorrising.com. Justin, what, what also people need to realize is this was supposed to be, there was a one day back and forth, quick flight to Philadelphia. These people wanted to show them what they had converted there, feed them lunch, continue the tour, then they'd come back. But instead, this guy's grabbing every free item available, including the vegan cheese. Then there's going to be sneakers. I think, Justin, it also gives insight to now someone that gets kind of free pass in this stuff, but Diosa and all these unnecessary trips and Allure's was always going on these unnecessary trips. I think it gives insight of just how how petty and provincial a lot of our state leaders and representatives, people that represent the state are, where look how easily they can be bought off and making demands for what they want to drink and making demands of what they're going to eat. I mean, it's just so small time. It's embarrassing that these people are representing the state. Now, all that said, how do you think Governor McKee has handled this? Well, I mean, that, that kind of goes without saying that pretty terribly. I mean, it's the the you get the impression everybody's always in kind of CYA mode, just covering yeah. themselves and just uh, and not saying, okay, from the beginning, maybe, okay, maybe there are personnel reasons you can't release the email. Okay, maybe. Uh, then you, but you need to, how the attitude should be, how much can we tell the public? How much can we inform people? How much should we give out? Uh, how should we handle this? Instead, it's just the, uh, you're on this leave. Now you're on this leave. And, and oh, we can't release the email. Sorry. And it's just they invite this kind of uh, like blood in the water investigation of, of their handling of it because there is this impression. And it's, it's well founded that there, there's something being hidden. Uh, and that yep. they, they need, I mean, our, our state government has so many PR and messaging people. That's right. The, the idea that they can't craft appropriate statements when these sorts of things happen, have the governor come out in a public forum, take questions, but make a statement as much as he can. Here's what we're able to tell you. Uh, we're investigating. Just let me put your minds at ease. We're handling this. And you never get that with this administration. You get this no. idea like you have to catch him on the way into a, into a little league game or something. Yeah. Get put a microphone in his face and get some kind of gaffe you can run out with on TV news. That's the impression you get because they just don't. I mean, I, you regularly post the, the no public appearances thing. Yeah. When you do public appearances. They're these scripted uh, I'm signing this statement. I'm, I'm giving away this money. I'm getting this. I've got this agreement. They're just those sort of staged performances and not like a, a press conference or a quick, hey, I'm going to step outside my office, everybody at 10 o'clock, come and uh, come and take my statement and I'll take some questions. That is what competent leadership would look like. And we just don't get that. Not only that, for the break, the way the Vatican sends off the white smoke when they've chosen a new pope, uh, to me now, it's kind of a joke in the media. When I see no public events, a red flag goes up that there's something up, something's wrong. And I was and I was right about that. And I can actually go back and pinpoint whatever they put out, no public events. There's usually there's a reason behind it, that something is going on behind the scenes. He doesn't have his talking points down. And so therefore, he doesn't want to get caught flat footed. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week with Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorizing.com right here on the John DePietro Show. Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508-252-3359. Propane Heating and Cooling, it's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button and remember all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment it's propane plus and remember with propane it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and now it's renewable call propane plus today at 401-885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508 508- 252-3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401-885-4209. 
We're speaking with Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Our segment is politics this week. Justin, I just want to finish up on this McKee email. I think it was poorly handled. And also, you know, we then learned where they said, oh, in, May, in April, we sent it to the state police for them to evaluate. Uh, my take on that, and I want to hear yours, but the Attorney General Peter Rona came out and said that we didn't know anything about this. <clears throat> People also need to understand, it was the Attorney General that said that the email should be made public, that really got this in gear. It wasn't that long ago that if we had had Attorney General Peter Kilmartin, there's no way he would have uh, you know, weighed in on that. He would let the summer go by into the fall until then it's a, it's a non-story. Uh, but the 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 nature of Governor McKee saying now it's with the state police, my take is he abuses. All right. I guess you could make an extortion claim there. Potentially give us we want Diet Coke or French vanilla coffee and a nice Italian meal. You're not getting the money. But to me, he seems to punt it to the state police knowing he can then he feels he can then just be confident saying, oh, I can't talk about it. There's an investigation. Yeah, I think so. And I think the you're raising yeah. Narona creates a, an important point about the way open records works in APRA in Rhode Island. You can ask public officials can ask the attorney general for a, an advisory opinion yep. on these sorts of things. So at the very, like, as I was saying, at the very beginning, if his attitude, McKee's attitude was how much can we tell people, how much can we inform the public? He could have asked Nerona, can I release this? And then he gets right. a, he gets a pass if, if somebody sues on that behavior, at least on the open record. So I think that's, that's part of the, and, that's part of the, the approach he could have taken. But now I th- add in kind of his competition with Nerona. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I, McKee does not seem like the kind to say, OK, look, we're both high ranking public officials in Rhode Island. Let's bury the hatchet here. Let's talk. You know, let's let's start operating well. What can we do about this issue? Let me bring you in and we'll talk about it. Uh, that I, I don't see that as a possibility. And, and frankly, I, I, one of my disappointments with Narona is he's, he's contributing to that with his kind of Twitter personal, personality. And I, I know we kind of disagree on this, but you know, the, the way he goes on Twitter and prefaces his statements like pro tip, you know, like the snarkiness. And then somebody will say something. Alan Waters actually responded to one of his pro tip um, for those who don't know, that's what you when you're when you're snarky and saying to somebody, "Here's how the world really works." If you know what you're talking about, that's that's pro tip. So it's kind of snide and condescending. So Alan Waters, candidate for for Congress, comes out and, and responds, and and Nerona shoots back, pro tip with another thing. I think Nerona is now contributing to that. And I wish I w- he would mature a little bit, at least on Twitter. All right, we are going to disagree on that because <laughs> what I liked was last week as this was going on, going on, he was responding in real time. He was saying to the media, first, I've heard that this went to the state police. This is the first time in tw- I've been doing this job for 12 years between this and U.S. attorney. This never happened before. If you go back to the old way, either A, you wouldn't have gotten a response or B, it would have had to be vetted. You have to wait for the email hours. I, I this is just my preference. I understand what you're saying about this. You feel stocky, but I'll, I'll take the responses in real time to further the story than the old way of doing it, which was, again, uh, Attorney General Patrick Lynch and Kill Martin wouldn't have done anything. Oh, I yeah, ab- absolutely. But, okay. but the, the snarkiness, those, those two words, pro tip, and then okay. and then mixing it up with the people who comment on your tweet. You know, that's where you're starting to dip into into, you know, unprofessional uh, behavior, in my view. But but the, want... but the responsiveness, that's what Twitter's for. And that's why it's wonderful okay. when it works well. I like the way he's using the tool that way. Now, <laughs> uh, you and I have talked about Aaron Ruggenberg. He ran he he nearly lost to um, uh, then at the time well, it was Lieutenant Governor Dan McKee, 2018 in the primary, 1,500 votes. He's running CD1. Now, he went to Brown University. Uh, then he was a state senator or rep. Then he ran for lieutenant governor. He, he was then working for Lors at one point. He's now going CD1 trying to get that seat, Justin. And the rap on Regenberg from some of his critics was – and it was very scathing from the uh, progressive collaborative, which was he's just this trust fund kid from an Ivy League school and that he and Matt Brown are interchangeable. So last week, even though he's been on the public scene, I'm going to say since 2010, was in Rand statewide office uh, for lieutenant governor. Last week on Channel 12, he announces that and I, I didn't know this. I knew he, he went to Brown. He lived off a trust fund. And then we learned last week. 
uh, from him that apparently when he was not even born yet, his father died in a plane crash. I want to get your thought. I'm going to go first. I view this as uh, this is a way for the Ruggenberg camp. If he wanted to release that, he could have released that when he was running for lieutenant governor. But to me, the release of the information in Channel 12 took the bait. It's, it's a shield. It means you can no longer criticize him as an Ivy League trust fund kid because hold on, time out. His father died in a plane crash. He has this story to tell. To me, it's they're, they're putting up the gates and they don't like the criticism of that he's a trust fund you know, kid from an Ivy League. As I said, if he wanted to release that, he's had 13 years he could have disclosed that information. But I want to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I agree. I mean, but to me, it's just it's an indication of one of the one of the worst aspects of our, our current culture is this idea you've got to find your sob story. I mean, if you if you it makes me think of every every reality show, The Voice or American Idol or whatever, uh, they always have the segments. I oh, and I was when I was in my singing group and I didn't think my voice and they start to cry. And it's, it's always we've got to find the thing that makes you sympathetic to the public. And that's what it feels like here. Let's let's throw out something that makes you sympathetic. And I mean, it's, it's a terrible, horrible, tragic thing for a child to grow up without a father like that. But I mean, they, even the story was, as I understand it, he and a, his father and a couple of buddies were taking a private plane to a baseball game somewhere. I mean, you're, you're not talking uh, growing up on the streets in poverty. And so I think it, it just, it becomes maudlin and, and kind of gross, not, not his story, but just our cultural feeling that you've got to have this, you've got to have the story. And not only do you have to have it, I mean, it used to be you overcame your story, not here's my shield of my, the hard thing I went through. It, it used to be, you know, I went through this hard thing and here's how I overcame it. And that's what it was useful for. Now it's, now it's useful to put up, as you said, a shield, which is, yes. it's just, it's just, I, it's disappointing. And it's also telling, I mean, if that's, that's, I mean, as horrible as it is, that's not a, a huge, I mean, tragedy happens it's not it doesn't it doesn't you know i don't think hit the chords that he needs to hit as far as the identity politics and the who's who's trust funded and who's who's got right. privilege and the it frankly doesn't the, change the facts he is a <laughs> yeah, exactly. kid from an ivy league school exactly now maybe they're putting up the flag that hold on time out you can't criticize him anymore uh didn't you hear the story told on channel 12 to me it's purely shield like we want to put a stop to this criticism uh, but the fact of the matter remains, okay, that did happen, but he's still a trust fund kid from an Ivy League school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's by the terms that his progressive friends live by. I mean, that's that's the real thing. He, yeah, we've talked about it before, and and the co-op types are are right. You know, if if you privilege all this intersectionality, it's kind of peculiar that so many of these so many of these progressive stalwarts like Matt Brown and Regenberg and Magaziner are white privileged ivy league guys i mean it's just it, it's it's a very strange thing in a world where supposedly uh the progressives are are raising up the, the silenced voices and and finally uh justin and folks we are going to talk to justin again uh during the course of the week so we're going to extend our uh politics this week because it's so popular but and give a give a chance to talk on some things just as they're fresh and happening in real time Justin, it's also I caught on Twitter. It's another example. You have these, you know, national people, uh, whether it's James Woods, who's created from Rhode Island. But this time it's Rob Schneider. And they see the video of Nicole Solace telling her story to speaker Kevin McCarthy. And uh, they're all like, wow, she is so impressive. And it has impact on them. Rob Schneider said, oh, my God, I don't I can't believe the teachers unions. But you bring out the fact that despite that, despite a video Last time I checked, I think it had 8 million views on TikTok. Um, Nicole Salas, the mom from South Kingstown, she cannot – the local press, they ignore her. She she does not get any press whatsoever. And it's just interesting. We both, I think, have noticed that people on a, on a national stage are like, wow, that must be all the buzz you know, in your area of the country. And, and it's quite the opposite. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's not just Rob Snyder. And for those who don't know, you know, a former what, Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's others like Jordan Peterson, one of the most yes. famous people in the world is yeah. highlighting her videos. And as you say, they 
she can't get anywhere. I mean, why, how is she not on lively experiment every third right. week? I mean, it's just that kind of, it just seems so obvious. And yet, so my, my clip was that there had to be like a union hit on her, telling yeah. all the media people, don't pay attention to her. Or yes. maybe they just do it naturally because they're so th- sympathetic. But it is, it's so, it's so bizarre, especially because one of the earliest things I learned about Rhode Island is they love when local people get national attention. They right. love, love, yes. love it. Whether it's Pauly D on Jersey Shore or right. Richard Hatch on survivor yes. or whatever it may yeah. be they love it and but so it's so clear that this is this is just we're not going there because it frankly it's too sensitive and people might start to ask questions about hey maybe she's got a point you know and just i want to round out you know years ago um Miriam sorrentino was just this woman that ran into you know a confrontation with the bishop someone said hey let's put her behind the microphone and she became a talk host arlene violet was the former attorney general Someone said, hey, let's, you know, she, she knows the issues, controversy, let's, let's put her on. Notice, Nicole Salas is nowhere asked to fill in. Not only is she no longer asked to fill not, not no longer, she's not even asked to fill in on, say, like a WPRO. They won't even have her as a guest because, Justin, and you put your finger on it, Bob Walsh sent out the memo. It was Bob Walsh that started to sue her. Bob Walsh that has introduced with a warm beer hug on Lively Experiment. Bob Walsh gets to sit on the panel with uh, all the educators. Bob Walsh, who's greeted as a hero whenever he goes on, you know, the radio. Bob Walsh is treated as the conquering hero, the call solace, simply because what, what her narrative uh, is dead on the money and it runs, you know, it contradicts the narrative that Walsh has tried to set up. She is essentially the black sheep and or blackballed and Walsh is the conquering hero whenever he makes a media appearance. Yep. It's a shame. Yeah. Folks, again, his uh, name is Justin Katz, managing editor at anchorising.com, a segment politics this week. Justin, great job as always. And we will talk to you again. Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks, John. This portion of our program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, right off of 146. Delicious food and drink. Always a nice crowd. You can either eat in the lounge area. There's normally a game on and a nice group of people there. Or you could sit out in the dining room. Don't forget the nice weather. They have the deck open. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Delicious food and drinks awaiting for you. I'll see you at the Lodge. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Folks, again, you can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. By the way, we have some uh, great new merchandise in the shop on the website, dePietro.com. You just click on um, shop. I want to go back to or play Bill Barr was on Fox News Sunday. I thought he was very candid. Um, you, you can't just dismiss Bill Barr. I know some people want to dismiss everyone, but... Let's listen. Bill Barr talks about some of the things with documents. That this entire thing came about because of reckless conduct uh, of the president. If he had just turned over the documents, which I think every other person in the country would have done, they're the government's documents. They're official records. They're not his personal records. Battle plans for an attack on another country or, or, or Defense Department documents about our capabilities are in no universe Donald J. Trump's personal documents. Now, I know some people are going to say, yeah, but he de- he had the power to declassify them. Well, but he didn't declassify them because they have him on tape saying that it was classified information and that he didn't have the power to declassify it. They're going to be able to make that argument in court. It doesn't sound like an argument that is going to be successful. I want to go back to... And again, I recognize there's a difference of talking points and what's going to go on in court. When you get on in court, it's my understanding, you're not just going to say, well, you got to remember Hunter Biden and Hillary Clinton, Hunter Biden should be investigated, and he is being investigated. The the Hillary situation, I agree, could have gone either way, but Comey did come out about the emails. That impacted the 2016 election. 
This, again, is uh, Bill Barr on Fox News Sunday. Under the Espionage Act, uh, that he willfully retained those documents are solid counts. Now, I, I do think we have to wait and see what the defense uh, says and, and, and what proves to be true. But I do think that even half what Andy McCarthy said, which is if even half of it is true, then he's toast. I mean, it's a, it's a, pretty, it's a very detailed indictment, uh, and it's very, very damning. And this idea of presenting Trump as a victim here, a victim of a witch hunt, uh, is ridiculous. Yes, he's been a victim in the past. Yes, his uh, adversaries have obsessively pursued him with phony claims. And I've, and I've been at his side defending against them when he is a victim. But this is much different. He's not a victim here. He was totally wrong. Uh, that he had the right to have those documents. Those documents are among the most sensitive secrets that the country has. He, they have to be in the custody of the archivist. He had no right to maintain them and ret retain them. And he kept them uh, in a way uh, at Mar-a-Lago that anyone who really cares about national security, would, their stomach would churn at it. My, uh, one of my issues on this whole thing with President Trump is he wanted to keep them. Rightly or wrongly, he wanted to keep these documents. For whatever reason, unfortunately, I believe, unfortunately for him, he surrounded himself with, I don't want to just say yes men because you hear some of the female attorneys, he surrounded himself with people who then just told him what he wanted to hear. But it, it sounds like the strongest parts of the case against President Trump are his own words and then the notes of one of his attorneys, Evan Cochran. I agree with the reckless element. I, I don't understand the um, I, the, the whole thing is beyond disturbing. Now, what about the polls, though? Where do things stand on the polls? Well, it sure sounds hey, like Rhea, he's still strong here. Because there's some new polling out this morning on former President Trump's favorability with voters. And this poll was conducted after the indictment was announced. And it appears to show some good news for Trump. That's right. When you look at this latest ABC News Ipsos poll, what we find is that the number of Americans who view Trump favorably has gone up, while the number of Americans who view him unfavorably has gone down. You have to remember, before his first indictment, Trump has argued uh, that uh, criminal charges could boost his popularity, and that could very well be part of what we're seeing here. Uh, you have to remember his rhetoric of his campaign has largely been one of retribution, revenge, framing himself as the victim. And there's a segment of his base that is going to stick by him no matter what. I think that's part of the folks that we heard Elizabeth speak to. And his campaign is undoubtedly going to continue to take advantage of that. And Avery, on that point, it's been interesting to watch the other Republicans in the crowded GOP field walking this political tightrope, responding to the indictments while trying not to alienate Trump's base. How are they navigating all of this? When you look at recent polling across the board, uh, President Trump outperforms each and every one of his GOP competitors. And yes, this forces them to address uh, President Trump. Uh, so far, we've seen more candidates speak out and point fingers of blame at the justice system rather than at Trump uh, himself for these alleged actions. We've even seen one uh, candidate pledge to uh, pardon Trump if he's elected. I think that's really reflective of the state of this race, right? These candidates cannot afford to alienate Trump's Supporters if they try to win them over later on uh, as they try and chart a path to the nomination. Kate Shaw, let's bring you in on the legal implications here. How careful does Trump now have to be on the campaign trail? The former president, he's out there speaking frequently about the indictment, making accusations. Could prosecutors continue to use his own words against him in this case? Well, I think that Jack Smith, uh, the special counsel, and his team of prosecutors are going to be watching former President Trump, now candidate Trump, on the campaign trail very, very closely. One of the things that was most striking in this very striking document, the indictment, was how central the president, the former president's own words were in the charging document. So you have some of former President Trump's conversations with aides in, uh, as recorded in text messages and actual recordings, but you also had public statements, including back in 2016 on the campaign trail and from the White House, essentially Trump acknowledging the importance of safeguarding classified information, whether we're talking about presidential candidates or actual presidents. So that's central in this document. And I imagine that to the extent that 
former President Trump talks on the campaign trail about these charges, which we have every indication so far uh, that he will, um, some of the things he says in a political register could be quite problematic in court. If he takes the position that, yes, I did this, I had these documents, but I had the right as a former president to do that, that could resonate with voters, but it could be really problematic as an admission in a court of law. And, and Kate, the timing is critical ahead of the 2024 election. How quickly can the DOJ and the court actually move in this case? Typically, a case like this would take probably a couple of years between the original indictment and the actual trial and resolution. And of course, that would mean no final resolution until after the 2024 presidential election. And so I imagine the special counsel and his team are going to be trying, you know, to the extent possible to move things along expeditiously. And this is a court, this Florida trial court, that has a reputation <coughs> as a so-called rocket docket court, a reputation for moving things along quickly. So if the judge is willing to to essentially accelerate proceedings, that could mean we could see things happen on a faster than ordinary track. Of course, the defendant, former President Trump, is going, I imagine, to do things, you know, everything possible to delay the final resolution. So a lot is going to turn on how interested the judge is in moving things along swiftly. And so far, this is a judge who, in a previous iteration of a related case involving these documents, was very sympathetic to Trump's arguments against the FBI's search in the first place. So, you know, I, I think there was reason for the judge. Justice Department to be concerned, but they're certainly going to try to move things quickly. And of course, nothing about this is ordinary. Kate Shaw, Avery Harper, our thanks to you both this morning. Again, uh, it certainly dominates the news. It's impossible for these other candidates to get any type of traction. I think a lot of this is going to change once it hits the debate stage. I think something that jumps out is this was avoidable. They just wanted the documents back. Where President Trump seemingly got in trouble was when he decided he didn't want to give them back. Then they started these efforts of move them here, move them there, have people sign sworn documents saying they'd given everything back. Uh, the nature of it, it, it sounds like the whole thing could have been avoided. That's the way it sounds to me. Sounds like a self-inflicted wound. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Check out DePietro.com. We have merchandise, all the shows, video, exclusive stories waiting for you right there at DePetro.com. You're listening to The John DePetro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePetro.com. Everything builds towards the Miami courtroom. President Trump set to enter the on Justice Tuesday. The Justice Department now finds itself in a place that it normally tries to avoid at all costs, right in the middle of a presidential campaign in a deeply divided nation. Facing perhaps the most serious legal threat of his life after being federally indicted for allegedly mishandling classified documents, former President Trump spent the weekend trying to discredit the prosecution. It's a disgrace what's happening. And you know what? This country's paying a big price. But Trump has now been charged with 37 felony counts, which if convicted could land him in jail for decades, including conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and the willful retention of national defense secrets. The special counsel alleging that Trump took a breathtaking amount of classified documents, some involving our spies, defense and weapons capabilities, and U.S. surveillance programs. And federal prosecutors say that these critical documents were stored in the most cavalier of ways at Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence, which was also a club serving thousands of guests. It's very, very damning. And this idea of presenting Trump as a victim here, a victim of a witch hunt, uh, is ridiculous. Here are boxes allegedly containing classified documents in a ballroom, in a storage room, even a bathroom next to a toilet. The saga over the document began with Trump haggling with the National Archives for months throughout 2021 when it became increasingly clear that he had taken a significant amount of government records upon leaving the White House. When he finally did return 15 boxes in January of 2022, archive officials were shocked to see a significant number of classified secrets. Soon, the FBI was investigating and the Justice Department obtained a court-ordered subpoena calling on Trump to return all those documents. At that moment, according to the special counsel, the Trump engaged in an active effort to lie and convince his attorneys and aides to keep the documents despite that subpoena. Here are notes allegedly from one of Trump's attorneys obtained by prosecutors, whom sources say is Evan Cochran. In it, Trump allegedly says... 
What happens if we just don't respond at all or don't play ball with them? And wouldn't it be better if we just told them we don't have anything here? And the FBI recovered a damaging audio recording from July 2021 where Trump's meeting with writers on a book, allegedly admitting that he has a classified document involving a potential plan of attack on Iran, telling the writers this is secret information. Look, look at this. See, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. Sources telling me the special counsel felt he had no choice but to take action. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. Trump has said he's done nothing wrong and that he declassified all those documents. But so far, he's provided no evidence of doing so. Rob? You know, that's where that's going to become a problem, is it's one thing what he's saying at a rally. It's certainly another situation inside of the courtroom. So now he was out on the trail over the course of the weekend there was even a rally never seen anything like this before a twice indicted former president campaigning to be back in the white house not only is trump a criminal defendant he's also the front runner of the republican party and his legal defense is becoming a central part of his campaign this morning former president donald trump says convicted or not he's staying in the 2024 race back out on the campaign trail hours after the indictment. Trump is defiant, fundraising off the investigation and describing the election as the final battle. I mean, the only good thing about it is it's driven my poll numbers way up. He is still the GOP frontrunner, and so far his rivals are walking a fine line, criticizing the Justice Department, not the former president. I'm deeply troubled to see this indictment move forward. There needs to be one standard of justice in this country. Only two candidates in a crowded field going after Trump, Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson, two former governors who once served as prosecutors. My point is that uh, this is bad for our country, bad for the presidency, and it is a legitimate campaign issue. We do not need to have our commander in chief of this country uh, not protecting our nation's secrets. Christie tweeting, if we want to take back the White House, we need leaders willing to call out Trump and tell the truth. All right, but that's not how most Republican primary voters see it. Take a look at this. Trump's approval ratings have actually improved since his first indictment, up 25% then to 31% now. That's according to our latest ABC News Ipsos poll. And as for the investigation, 61% of Americans believe the charges against Trump are serious. That includes 38% of Republicans and 63% of independents. Almost half the country, 48% believes Trump should be charged. But that's still deeply divided along party lines, with two-thirds of Republicans saying that he should not have been charged. The bottom line here, even with all of these investigations surrounding the former president, this is still very much his race to lose, Michael. Hmm. I I still think that this whole thing changes when he gets on a debate stage because they're going to be very, very aggressive. Let's also hear... uh, who I've worked with in the past, Aaron Kratisky, outside the courthouse. This is going to be in Miami. Court tomorrow, he wants to see his supporters rallying for him. He can be assured of fortress-like security. We've seen federal agents sweeping the grounds. We know the Secret Service has been coordinating former President Trump's movements here. And we are unlikely to see much of him, if at all. It's expected he'll be driven underground, met by FBI agents who will place him under arrest. The marshals could take fingerprints and photographs before Trump is brought to a 13th floor courtroom where cameras are not allowed. The assigned judge, Aileen Cannon, has already stirred controversy in this case. She intervened after the FBI raided Trump's estate in Palm Beach before a federal appeals court overruled her. Trump has summoned his supporters here to court. Miami police say they're prepared, but so far there's no sign of any organized protest. Online, Trump's supporters have echoed his rhetoric about the indictment, but George, so far we're told there's no credible threat of violence. George. Well, thank goodness for that. Okay, Aaron, thank you. And it won't be. And I think it'll all just be actually kind of like a, um, I, I think it's all the hype leading up to it and then in and out. And it's also a federal courtroom, so you're not going to be able to see inside the... Um, think we'd all be better served if this wasn't happening, but we're going to have to wait and see. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show.